This morning, would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament? If you have your Nova Community Church app, there's a Bible there. You can find Acts chapter 2, and the sermon notes are also on your Nova Community Church app that you can fill out. We are concluding our series today entitled Open, where we've been talking about the mission and the vision and the values of Nova Community Church. And after this shorter than usual sermon, and I promise you it will be shorter than usual today, we'll hear from the members of the campaign team as they talk about the open campaign. Our text today is a description of the first church that was born after the Apostle Peter preached his first sermon. Acts chapter 2, we'll start in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord today. Over the last few weeks in the office, uh, Dave and I, Pastor Dave and I, have been talking about what should we do for our Christmas series this year. And Garrett, and during announcement, says it's too early to talk about Christmas. And it's not, Garrett. It's, uh, it's just a few, not a few days, but about a couple months away. We were talking about our Christmas series. And Christmas is, of course, about the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ. And today's text is about another birth. It's about the birth of the first church. And the two births, though, are intimately related to each other. What happened at the first Christmas explains what happened at the birth of the church. And so I want to make three really quick observations about our text today. The first observation that we could make is the gospel penetrates deep into the heart. And it moves us to respond to do something. The gospel, it, it penetrates really deep in the heart. And there's examples of this that, where Peter preaches the gospel. And in this first sermon that, that he ever preaches here, and, and there was a great response for that. So the gospel penetrates very deep within the heart. And then it, it, it elicits a, a response. We should have a response to that. Second observation we can make is, God's promise of forgiveness extends to all people, of all generations, and of all races, and, and it, it extends to the ends of the earth. It's the promise of God, of forgiveness, it extends to all people. And the third 
observation we could make here in this text is the ministry of the first church was very simple. The ministry of the first church was very simple. As I read through this, I'm astounded at the simplicity of what they did just in the the very first days. You you read in the text in verse 42, they they had teaching and and, uh, meals together and fellowship and baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer and they met in large groups in the temple courts, and then they met in small groups in homes. It was just a a very simple, simple ministry of the first church, which really speaks to me, and I think, do we do too much sometimes is what I think. Are we trying, are we striving for too much in the church today? And today I want to just bring a a, a one point, I'll I'll bring two points to the sermon today um, in our text, and it's a simple lesson from the, from the very first church. And the first point we can make here is this. The first church was attractively different. Really, this is our only point today. I really want you to get this. The first church, it was attractively different. What was unique about this earliest Christian community? I mean, as you, as you read through this text, what was unique? What, what made them so different from the culture surrounding them? In verse 40 in our text, it says, With many other words, the apostle Peter, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We, we read here, as a result of the very first sermon, was that 3,000 people believed and were baptized. And there's a historical fact, and in the history books document this, the history writings of that time document this, that for the first three decades of the early church, the first three decades of the Christian church, it, it, Christianity grew explosively. It grew to a place where it displaced the Greco-Roman Empire and the Greco-Roman culture. And that was, had to be powerful to do that. So I think that our question here is, is why? How did that happen? And there's many reasons, I believe, why that happened. But the first Christian communities were attractively different. They were so different. What was their difference? It was this. It was this one word, devotion. Devotion. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves. The word devotion just that word devotion, it means to give something away. And that's why some translations render verse 42 in Acts chapter 2, they gave themselves to, rather than they devoted themselves to. They gave themselves to something, to certain practices of teaching and meals together and fellowship and praying. They gave themselves to God and to each other. What made the early Christians attractively different was this radical unselfishness that was really never seen before at all. In verses 44 and 45, it's astounding to read. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That was one of the most striking things about the early church. What stood out to this, to this common culture of the day. And maybe for you, as you read this, you're thinking, well, that's not so unique, Dean. I mean, we hear about um, relief efforts in, in hurricane zones and flood zones and relief efforts all across the world of, of people going and helping and pouring out millions of dollars on people in need. It's not so unique, Dean. 
But in that day, it was. There was a, a man named Lucian of Samosata and in 170 AD. Lucian was not a believer. In fact, he was an opposer to Christianity. He wrote satire in that day, um, poking fun at religion and culture and politics. And here's what he said. Their founder, Jesus, taught them that they should be like brothers to one another, and therefore they despise their own privacy and view their possessions as common property. He was just poking fun at the Christian church, hoping that it would fail. Now, this wasn't literal communism as, as we think about it. They didn't give all their assets to a common purse and then get this equalized salary from a, from a central committee. It wasn't communism. It was the spiritual community of radical unselfishness that made the difference. Remember, when we think about the context of Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem was in a holy day period. It was the Passover. It was just on the heels of the Passover. And spiritual pilgrims from all over the world came to Jerusalem for this holy day. And so there were people from all over the country, and, and they spoke different languages, and they had different cultures. And they're the ones who became the first Christians. And now they're doing everything together. In spite of their cultural differences and languages, they're giving themselves to one another. They're giving themselves away. It would almost be like maybe during the Christmas season, someone from another country, let's just say a country from the Middle East, from Jordan, they hear about America and their Christmas celebration, the beautiful lights and the, the beautiful choir programs of churches and the teaching of an of a interesting story of God who was born in a manger. And so someone from Jordan travels to Torrance, California, and they, and they want to stay here for about seven days. They put themselves up in the Marriott, and, and they're walking around Sleepy Hollow where you can see all the beautiful lights. And then they come to Nova for a Christmas Eve service, and a Christmas Eve uh, uh, morning worship, and then a Christmas Eve service, and they light a candle. And then they, they decide to trust Jesus Christ for their salvation. But tomorrow, their plane leaves on Christmas Day to go back home. But they have this newfound faith, let's say. And so they decide, well, we didn't budget for this. We don't really have enough money. But they say to us, can we stay with you just for a little longer so that we can learn about Jesus? Can you disciple us? Can you make disciples out of us and teach us about Jesus? Can we just stay just a little bit longer we only plan for seven days, but can we stay? And would you teach us? Would you help us? Would you put us up in your home? We don't have all the money because we, we, we spent it on the seven-day vacation, but now we've come to know Christ, and, and would you be our spiritual family here in America? What would we say? What would we do? That's what, that was, that's what was happening here. But there were hundreds, maybe thousands. Well, we read here 3,000 people, many from uh, other parts of the country that spoke different languages. And then we know that most of these people were Jewish believers, but by Acts chapter 13, we see African and Asian and Jewish and Greek and Roman people coming to Christ. And some of you might be thinking, Dean, this sounds really warm and touching, but was it really that different? It was. There's a Christian historian, uh, well, he's a historian of, of Christian history from Yale University, and he writes this. His name is Kenneth Scott Laderette, and he writes, Why among 
all the many cults and philosophies which competed in their Greco-Roman world, and in spite of more severe opposition, why did Christianity outstrip them all? In significant part, Christianity's success is to be found in its inclusiveness. More than any of its competitors, it attracted all races and classes. Christianity gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. Christianity drew the lowly and unlettered, yet Christianity also developed a philosophy which, was, which commanded the respect of many of the learned. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas at least two of its main rivals were primarily for men. The church welcomed both rich and poor. No other cult, therefore, took in so many groups and strata of society. Here, the query must be raised, why did it appear in Christianity? It is the uniqueness of Jesus which seems the one tenable explanation. Without Jesus, Christianity would not have sprung into existence, and from him and beliefs about him came its main dynamic. That was the the, the view of that time, of that period of time. Why was Christianity so different? It was Jesus who said, love your enemies. It was Jesus who said, forgive indefinitely. He said to reconcile instead of take revenge. He said that every human being was valuable regardless of their race or their class or their sickness. Christianity is the one, we are the ones who invented hospitals and orphanages and relief for the poor, and human rights. That's what Christianity did. We invented those things. See, the culture of the day, the culture of the day was this, that we would respect the strong only, that we would marginalize the weak and the poor and the sick and let them die off. We would exact revenge on people who would do us wrong. The culture of the day would say, if you have an enemy, we've got to kill him. So if you're not a believer today, and you're, and you're here and you're thinking, and you're thinking, well, of course we should love, and of course we should forgive, and of course we should help the poor. I want you to know that those values and those ideals came from nowhere but Christianity. Jesus Christ in John chapter 17, the Gospel of John, he's praying to the Father, and he prays to the Father, you sent me into this world. For their sake I sanctify myself. That word sanctify means to devote myself, to set myself apart. Jesus was saying, you sent me, Father, into the world so that I can give myself away. Second point we can make today is this. The model for the early church was the ministry of Jesus. That was the model for the early church. It was just purely and simply the ministry of Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus gave them and he gave us a simple but profound model. Where Jesus, we know, left his heavenly home. He was born fully God and fully human. He lived a perfect life on earth. He loved his enemies. He forgave his murderers. He valued every human being regardless. And he died a death that would reconcile every human being back to God. Jesus is our model for radical unselfishness. And that's why this is the reason that we set a significant portion of the Nova budget aside, that, that we would support and pray and give spiritual encouragement to missionaries where we partner with them throughout the world. And so the ministry of Nova Community Church, it extends past the South Bay. 
It's, it goes from the Middle East to Mexico to Africa to France to Japan to Asia to, to Indonesia to Germany to urban L.A. to Native Americans in Wyoming to the Japanese speaking in Boston and in the South Bay. This radical unselfishness changes everything about the church. Jesus was the reason why six years ago two different churches in different denominations with different pastors and different people who were meeting in different locations but were serving in the same city knew that we were part of the same kingdom of God, had the same mission, and had the same vision to reach the the local community that two churches would come together to worship and serve together and to reach the South Bay and beyond for Jesus. This is the reason why, even though the people of a predecessor church called Nova Community Church, that we were meeting in a kind of a rundown warehouse building, but we had this vision that said, let's go have a building campaign that we would occupy 15,000 square feet of warehouse now and that we would raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to renovate that warehouse, that that would be our church home for a long time. And so we did. And we renovated and that place, and we painted walls and hung new drywall and built a, 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 a beautiful worship center with classrooms and youth rooms. And little did we know that two years after we cut the ribbon on that place, that God would call us to merge with Pacific View Church. So what were we going to do with this beautifully renovated building that we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on? I still remember standing in that back parking lot and looking at these big cranes lowering air conditioning units on our warehouse facility and thinking to myself, that's about $80,000 worth of air conditioners. And we're not going to be able to take that with us if we ever move. And so when we were almost assured that we were going to merge with Pacific View Church, I had a friend who planted a church in the South Bay, and they were looking for a facility. And so I called them up, and I said, Tim, would you like to occupy our new facility? And there was silence just like that. And he came down with some leaders and they toured the building and his leaders had eyes about this wide and they're walking around. And at the end he said, we, we love it. How much? How much would you charge us to take over? And everything inside of me wanted to say, well, how about, I'll give you a discount. How about $200,000? <laughs> everything inside of me wanted to carry that money with us. It was practically new. But because I knew that we were serving the same God and we're part of the same kingdom of God, I just handed him over the keys. This attractiveness, this unique attractiveness extends into the church that we were merging in. I remember sitting in the fireside room with Pastor John Sanders of Pacific View Church. And I was a little nervous, honestly, about when we merge, would this really be like ours together? This whole three and a half, we would only dream of having a football-sized field piece of grass. We would only dream of things like that. We were leasing a warehouse facility. And I asked John, I said, 
can I just, what's it going to be like? With all our people coming here and that we would be together, I don't know any of your folks really. Are they going to have an us, this is mine, and here you can just kind of have this over here. And, but what's it going to be like? And John said to me, he said, day one, when we merge as a church family, when we're together as a church family, everything that's ours will be ours. This radical unselfishness extends from both predecessor churches. I remember after that first Sunday that we were a, a, a new church. Remember, we didn't even have a name for about six weeks. You remember that? And I was outside. John and I preached that sermon and we were service, and we were outside greeting people. And then I was really thirsty, so I ran into the kitchen. And when I went in the kitchen, what I saw was former Pacific View people showing former Hope Chapel Gateway people. And this is all ours. Stoves and dishwashers and dishes and refrigerator. And the former Hope Chapel Gateway people, they were just, they were crying, saying, we only dreamed of having something like this one day. This radical unselfishness is part of our DNA because it extends from the very first church and it extends throughout these churches. And it's because of Jesus, his ministry. And I look at this church that was so simple in their ministry, where they had apostolic teaching, good theology. We need to have that. They had praise and worship. We, we have that. Prayer and fellowship and meals and small groups. They met in homes. Evangelism through missional discipleship. We do that. Giving to the needy through missional service. We need to continue all of that. See, I'll tell you, a great church today needs to have this common type of ministry. And if the ministry of Nova Community Church looks like this, we will be living out the image of the one who devoted himself to us and has sanctified himself for us and gave himself away for us. Let's pray.